uh, welcome to New Life. <laughs> if, this, <laughs> if this is your first Sunday, we're, we, our intent is not to creep you out, all right? Just want you to know that right now. I know you just watched the creepiest sermon introduction video we have ever created, all right? Uh, I can't actually stop watching it. It keeps coming back. I'm waiting for like that moment where the person goes, whoa, like that. They just jump out at you. Uh, last week, maybe we can add something like that. No. All right, so here's the truth of the matter, all right? We are in a brand new series. You're here on day one of a series. So high five the person next to you. He's like, congratulations, day one, right? Day one of a brand new series entitled Lies. Lies, yes. Um, man, we live in a, real, in a real world that is full of lies, full of lies. So I want to say hello to all you guys that are here. After actually watching that, both here at our Carney campus and our North Black campus, are you still excited to be at New Life Church today, though? Yeah. Awesome. This whole series is going to be a, it's, a, it's from our heart. We kind of designed it. Uh, we didn't really design the whole thing, excuse me. We said we want to do a series about the lies that the enemy kind of wraps up his people with, and we want to do it at this time of the year. And so we planned that back in October, November of last year as a, as a teaching team. And so here we are, right? Uh, here we are. We're at this moment now where we're transitioning from playlist, which I loved. And now for the next number of weeks, we're going to be tackling some lies that the enemy is using to wrap up his people and to keep you from living a victorious lifestyle. Okay, because that's what we are here to do. Uh, we're here as your pastors to try to help you unravel all those lies so that you can live the life that God's called you to live. And that's what we're here to do. Because lies, they control people. They, they keep people from, you know, really living, uh, you know, the kind of life God really created them to be. I want you to think about this for a moment. Think of some lies that controlled people throughout history. You know, the number one that came to my mind was the flat earth idea. Think about when... When people actually thought it, now look, I know there's some people that are still part of the flat earth society. If you're here, if you're here, I just want you to know, we love you, God bless you, but you're wrong. All right, so just letting you know, that was the most gentle way I could say it. Uh, remember when, when people actually thought the earth was flat, so you couldn't go out and explore, you couldn't go out and discover, discover new worlds, because if you sailed off into the distance, you would just sail right off the edge of... The earth, right? So just think about how that controlled them and where they could live and what they could dream and what they could do. Think about other things like in our past, unfortunately, in humanity, there's been many cultures that have believed in human sacrifice. You know, like well, we need to sacrifice a virgin because we're not having enough rain and we're in a season of drought. Or we need to sacrifice a child, you know, into the volcano for the volcano god. And they were really controlled by, you know, all these misbeliefs that actually, you know, resulted in people losing their life. I can't imagine a mother thinking that, you know, that was good at all, right? Um, and then about, what about others that are growing up right now in kind of an, an occult environment, where their mind is being warped to the truth and they're unable to really process what real reality is. Their worldview is being warped by a series of false lies, of lies that are false, that are just keeping them from the truth. It's kind of like The Wizard of Oz. You know, the movie The Wizard of Oz where, you know, you finally get to where the wizard is. He's trying to project himself as being bigger than what he really is, more powerful than what he really is. And then the curtain gets pulled back and you see this very insecure person 
right? It's kind of like that. Like we, we're living in this world being controlled by these lies. And some of them are just frivolous. Like when your older sibling told you there was a monster underneath your bed, right? And then for the next few nights, it was not pretty or months or years, or maybe, maybe you're still dealing with that. And I'm sorry I touched on that button. Um, but just like those lies, they controlled people um, in the past. We still today as Christians have lies that the enemy is trying to control us with. Lies such as this, like God doesn't exist, or you know, God doesn't love me, or you know, things like if God, God is love, then why do bad things happen, especially to me? Or hey, pastor, God's love, right? So everybody's gonna, make, everybody's gonna go to heaven, right? Or my sin, my sin is way too great for God to really ever forgive, or you know, how could I ever live a life that God would be proud of? Those are all spiritual things. Let's just make it a little more practical for a second, though. How about, you know, you're young and you're, you're believing the lie that I'm too young to actually make a difference. Or you're, you're older in life, right? And you're thinking to yourself, like, I'm too old to even matter. Although those are lies. Lies that the enemy uses to try to keep us from God's truth. And that's what a lie does. A lie controls you and it focuses all of your attention on it. It becomes the loudest thing in your life so that you can't see truth, so that you cannot find your way out. Satan knows this and that's why he is the father of lies. He's behind every one of those lies that wants to control you. Why? Because he knows that if he can keep you from the truth, then he can keep you in bondage because he knows the truth will set you free. Here's what John 8 says about Satan and his mission. It says that he has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, it is, it is consistent with his character. It's like who he is. For he is a liar and he is actually the father of lies. It's like the character, the nature of our enemy is one to lie. That's just who he is. Everything he says is going to be a lie. It's going to be a lie to trap you and to keep you from becoming the man or the woman that God wants you to be. And the longer that Satan can control your emotions and control your thoughts, eventually he will control your actions. That's where it gets detrimental. Because it's one thing for him to be, you know, spooling up the lie here and here. It's another thing when you start acting out on it. Because now, now it, that lie starts impacting others. So Satan knows that freedom comes, though, when we, when we replace the lie with God's truth. And here's the truth that we need to replace every lie with. It's found in John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to people who believed in him, which by the way, these were brand new believers. Brand new believers. He said, look to these new believers. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and then the truth will set you free. Jesus establishes right off the bat for new believers, I know you're coming into this relationship wrapped up with lies. I know you're coming to me with false ideas of what it means to live a godly life. And so here's what I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide truth that's going to set you free. What is the truth, though? The truth, Jesus is saying, is him. Jesus is the truth. So Jesus was establishing early on for us today as well, look, you want to live free of the lies, then get closer to me. Right? You want to know when lies are coming, then know me. He's saying, look, the more you know me, the more you're in me, the more you get close to me, the more you're going to stay free from all the lies that are going to come because they're going to come. So Jesus is basically saying, I'm the original, know me, then the fake will stand out. It's just like, you know, high fine art dealers. You know, they know what the real piece of art is supposed to look like so that when the fake shows up, 
instead of them giving up all their money or acting like a fool and putting some fake piece of art out for auction where people are going to believe it's the, you know, the real thing, they recognize it as a fake and they put it aside. Or like people that have to deal with currency and they recognize what a real $20 bill looks like so that when a fake comes, they can see it. Or when a false prophet comes and a false prophet is speaking and spewing their lies, you know, we can recognize those are lies because we know God and we know God's word in the same way you can recognize when Satan brings his lies to our life as well. So that's what this whole series, this whole series is going to be about. Let's look at the lies that the enemy brings so that we can combat them with truth. But at the same time, at the same time, let's not get distracted by just the lie. Let's also look at the scheming plan that the enemy tries to work. And today I'm going to help you see that of what he tries to do to get your full attention on the lie so that you bite it, you buy into it, and it leads you all the way away from truth. So today I want to start with the first lie of our series. Here's the first lie. How could God keep any good thing from you if he loves you? How could God keep any good thing from you if he loves you? Like if it's good and he loves you, why would he keep that from you? Now this lie is the very essence of the very first lie that Satan ever used. And you'll find it back in the Garden of Eden. So it is the original lie. The story of the Garden is a unique story. Because it's a story that every Christian knows. It's a story every Jew knows. It's a story that every Muslim knows. It's a story that... A bulk share of humanity knows this story. This is what makes it so detrimental then. Most of us learned that story when we were children, and few of us have ever gone back to study it in depth as an adult. So we're, we've missed out on what really is going on here because we learned it in a child's level instead of learning it at an adult level. And this is why that's detrimental because if you've not gone back to study it with a more mature adult eyes, then you're missing out on the crafty deception that the enemy really uses. Here's what we typically do with passages like the Garden of Eden and the original sin of man. We say this, oh, I've read that before. I know that story. And you can tell the story. That's true. You can tell the story. But see, when you can do that, that's, that's sometimes the most detrimental thing because you don't really truly have all of the ammunition from that story. So today, as we jump in to talk about this lie, how could God keep any good thing from you if he loves you? We're going to go back and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to read it with adult eyes. I want you to read it you know, from this more mature perspective. And I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. What are these deceptive ways that the enemies losing are using to try to deposit this lie inside of our heart? Let's go look at Genesis chapter three, verses one through six. Read it, right? Read it to yourself so that you're engaged with me on this. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild, wild animals uh, that the Lord God made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only that the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, then you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Then it says that the woman was convinced She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it could give her. 
So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. The lie. How could God keep any good thing from you if he loves you? That's what Satan was trying to do at this very moment. If God loves you, Eve, why would he keep this thing from you? Let me tell you about this thing. This tree is amazing. This tree is going to give you knowledge that's going to be more like God. Why would God want to keep that from you, Eve? See how he's, how he's working that right there? That's the, that's the actual underlying lie. Here's what we want to look at today. I want you to look at how Satan delivered the lie. He first delivered the lie by beginning with a question. And his question was somewhat ludicrous. Did God really say, Eve, that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? That was his original question. Very deceptive. Did God say you can't eat any of this fruit? Now look, he already knew the answer to this. He already knew that God didn't say that. He already knew what God said to Adam and what he said to Eve. Here's what what the enemy was doing. He was testing the woman to see what she knew and how strong she believed it. That's exactly what Satan still does today. He starts temptation with this alluring question that gets us into conversation and it gets our mind thinking about something in a way that we ought not to be thinking about it. So like for the alcoholic, Satan will come to the alcoholic and say, hey, aren't you strong enough now just to have one drink? Or to the sex addict, he'll come to them and he'll say, to the person who's got you know, that kind of addiction, he'll say, look, you know, um, isn't, what's a little pornography gonna hurt anybody today? Or he'll come to the person who's struggling with their identity and say like, you know, why, why would God ever love someone like you? The question, he'll come to a spouse in a difficult marriage and he'll say, like, don't you deserve someone who will love you and treat you like the special thing that you really are? And he starts out with the question. So he comes to the woman with the question and you saw what we just read. The woman immediately replied back, right? That's what Eve did. She immediately replied back. She said everything that she needed to say, but she screwed up one piece. So she used these words. She says, she says look, Satan, look, you, you, you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, she says these words, you will die. It's on that note that Satan jumps in. And he goes, you, you won't surely die. It was the woman's understanding that if I touch that tree, And if I eat that fruit, that immediately, physically, I was going to die. That's what she she thought. And when you go back to the original language, that's what she's saying. I think that if I touch it, if I eat it, I will physically fall flat on the ground. Heart stops beating. I no longer exist. Satan knew that wasn't the death that God's talking about. And so when he comes back and he says, you will not surely die, he's going, yeah, you're right. You won't die physically, but he knows something that the woman couldn't quite figure out for some reason, right? He knew that there was going to be a spiritual death, the death that comes when sin separates us from God. But he wasn't willing to throw that onto the table, was he? So here's what he does. He capitalizes on what she doesn't know. He looked, Satan looked for the weakness. He looked for the weakness in her theology, her doctrine, her biblical understanding as an example, her obedience to the spirit of God, like what God has said to her to do. He looked for the weakest spot and he attacked right there. And here's how he did it. He deposited a question. He deposited a question into her heart. He doesn't say anything else and he just lets it marinate. And it marinates there. 
And here's what she does. She starts entertaining the idea. She starts thinking about the idea. And it starts spooling up here and it starts spooling up there until she eventually takes action. So this is the same thing the enemy is going to do for you. He's going to come after you with a question first. And the question might seem somewhat harmless or frivolous, but it all leads someplace. Be leery of the questions that he deposits in your heart because they are a method of manipulation to try to get you to become the person that you're not intending to be, to get you away from the person God wants you to be. So when the lies come, here's one thing that we do. There's a few things. We overcome them by expelling it from our heart and our mind. Here's what 2 Corinthians 10 says about it. It says, we use God's mighty weapons. Thank the Lord we have a mighty weapon through the power of his spirit. Okay, not worldly weapons. To knock down strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments, destroy lies. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to recognize it and to knock it down and go, that's not where I'm going to go today. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. We can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, capture the lie, pull it down, and then focus our attention on the truth. So here's what we do when lies start to be deposited into our heart so that we don't take action on them. Bring the lie to God, number one. Bring the lie back to God in prayer. God, I'm being, this lie, it's attacking me right now. This lie, it's, it's, it's causing my mind, like for the last few hours, I can't get this thing out. For the last few days, it's just been, you know, running me ragged. I, I'm, I'm getting sick in my stomach or my heart. I feel, I feel my mind and my heart just being wicked. Like bring it back to God and ask him for the power to redirect that lie and ask him to show me, God, the truth. Just get back into the presence of Jesus. And let the lie be destroyed in the light of Christ. Bring the lie to God. Don't try to keep it from him. Bring it to him. He has the authority and the power to help unlock the lie and lead you to truth. Secondly, though, ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit to be more discerning. There is a gift of discernment that is readily available for the believer through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be asking for and we can be functioning in and we can be living in. And it's a gift that God, I think, wants to bless, you know, believers with, that the gift of discernment that he talks about in his word that will allow us to discern between right and wrong, between the lie and the truth. We need more of that today than probably we've ever needed it in our lives. So ask God for his help to overcome the lie and ask God for the spirit of discernment to know where the lie and where the truth is. Because sometimes those things will be so close to each other, you have to be able to take a sharp knife and cut the, two, cut the two apart. Lastly, though, study God's word. Like, actually know God's word. Know his word as the original so that when the fake comes, you can readily identify it. Study it yourself. But also you can study God's word in our life groups. We have a number of life groups that are just focused on looking at God's word in different creative ways. Jump into one of those kind of groups. We have a groups for all kinds of things, but look for a group as well to supplement your life by being in relationship with others. Because inevitably, here's what's gonna to happen to all of us, including me, right? We're gonna believe a lie and we're gonna get our lives stuck in that lie. And we're gonna need someone to help pull us out. We're getting ready to move into a season where unfortunately, snow's gonna fall in such a capacity that you're gonna be stuck and you're gonna be thankful for somebody that comes along with a truck or some you know, really incredibly cool car like a Jeep and they hook up to you. 
and they hook up to you and they pull you out. And you're going to be thankful for that person. You will also be thankful for that person in a spiritual way. When you're in community with each other and you're sharing and you have the kind of relationship where you're open, you're honest, and you're humble enough to say, I have a blind spot or I'm going to get stuck from time to time and I'm going to need you to help me. I'm going to believe a lie and I need to get pulled out of it with truth. Would you please be a part of my life in that capacity? And so that's, that's, where, we need, that's where we need to live because Satan's always going to start with a question, but that's not where he's going to end. So let's continue how Satan delivers a lie into our life of this. How, if God, is, if God loves you, why would he keep something good from you? As an example, here's the second thing that you see Satan doing all the time. He distracts her, and going back to the woman again, he distracts her from all that she could eat, and he got her focused on what she couldn't eat. It's crafty. He's like, hey, look, all these trees, you can't eat from any of them? The woman at that moment should have been, you know what, here's the truth. I can eat from all of them except for one. And by the way, I'm going to go do it right now. <laughs> and I'm going to walk away from him. I'm going to go eat the fruit I can't eat. But instead of that, he ends up getting her focus on the thing that she can't have. And he left the woman contemplating the tree that she couldn't have versus all the things that she could have. And look at what Genesis 3.6. Let's just go back really quick. Here's what happened. And as she's contemplating this, she gets to the moment where she says the woman was it's like she convinced herself from the lie that was deposited and the distraction of it all. She ends up convincing herself that this evidently is the right thing to do. And look at what she went from, the extreme. She went from, it can't be right if I touch it, not just eat it. If I touch it, die, boom, boom, stops. She goes from that to, looking at this verse, she goes from that to, it, actually, it kind of looks beautiful. It looks delicious. I actually want the wisdom that, that it can give. You, you can't go from a farther ditch to a farther ditch. But that's because Satan begins to distract her and get her attention on what she can't have. We are naturally built that way. We're, we have a natural instinct to want what we don't have. Let's remember back to when we were children. You're playing with your little toy and your friend is pray, playing with their little toy. Which toy do you eventually want? Their toy. So you leave your toy and you go grab their toy. They scream. Mom or dad comes and they teach you how to share. You learn how to share. Because early on, you, didn't, you weren't content with what you had. You had to go get what they had. There was a natural instinct to want what we don't have. And in our adult life now, we still have that same thing. It says that the price tag of all of that is more. It's because we struggle with contentment. Satan knows it, and he plays on that weakness all the time. He'll play on the weakness like, like there's a number of people that are struggling because they just can't embrace where God's planted them. One of the miracles that I, I think that God's done uh, for Kim and I is that he's made us content here. Like we're content, fully content here. We love it that we're here. We have no desire to be there. Here is where God's planted us. We're content with it. But there's a lot of you that struggle with being content with where God's planted you. Being content in the job that you're in. So you're constantly looking for another one. Some of you are struggling and being content in the marriage that you're in, which is causing us to make some really bad decisions. 
right? Being content with where we're at or living and being content with, you know, living within the means that God's given us. It seems like we're always wanting something that's beyond our means. And we scheme and we plan and we figure out ways to go get it only to put ourselves deeper and deeper into debt to increase the struggle more and more and more. Why? Because we struggle with contentment and the enemy knows it and he plays on it. And there's incredible consequences to not living in a content lifestyle. Here's one of them. You stop appreciating the best that you have. The best that you have is with you. The best that you have is right in front of you. The best that you have is what God has blessed you with. That's the best that you have. But what we end up doing is we get spiritual farsightedness. And we can't see the blessing. and We can't take advantage of all the incredible things God's put us here right now that we can put our, our hands around. And all we can see clearly is what's outside of our grasp. And that spiritual farsightedness will be a trap that the enemy will use as that, you know, um, consequence of not living and being content. But the Apostle Paul teaches us in Philippians that he's learned the secret to being content. Here's how he says it. He says, for I've learned how to be content in whatever I have. Whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Like, man, just think about the person that has the most. The person has the least. He goes, I've been in both of those. I understand it. I've learned to be content in all of it. He actually says, I've learned the secret of living in every situation. The secret of every situation. Then he goes on. He kind of repeats the same thing. Like He goes, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty or plenty or little, here's the secret. Here's the secret of being content. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Here's the secret to being content. I can only do what Christ allows me to do. I can, I can only enjoy what Christ has given me to enjoy. If I strive and struggle for things that are not Christ-centered, I, I'm never gonna find contentment. I might get it with my hands, but I'll never have contentment here. So he humbly says, I can do basically nothing without Christ. And if I don't have Christ, then I am nothing. But with Christ, I am everything. With Christ, if Christ leads me into poverty, then I'm gonna be content. If Christ leads me into richness and blessing, I'm gonna be content. If Christ allows me to have marriage to the end of my, my days, I'm gonna be content. If Christ you know, ends up taking my spouse early, I'm gonna be content. That's what he's saying, as brutal as that sounds. He's going, I'm going to trust I am in Christ, and where Christ leads me is the best. So I will be content. That's part of the secret of overcoming the distraction of the enemy always trying to point your eyes to something you don't have. But here's another way that Satan distracts us. He distracts us, and he distracted the woman in the garden with this very thing. He gets you thinking critically and judgmental. That's what he does with the woman. The woman is there and she's contemplating now to where she can get to a point where she's convinced that it's no longer going to kill me, but it's going to bring me life. She's contemplating these kinds of thoughts like, why would God, who loves me, keep something good for me? That's what's going on in her mind. The very lie that Satan wanted to deposit, he's got her there, right? And she's thinking now like, you know, God, God doesn't, he must not have my best interest in mind. God must not be thinking the best for me. God must be holding something back from me. That's what's going on. 
God's keeping something from me that he just doesn't want me to have that I, I should actually have. She starts contemplating these thoughts and she starts getting critical and judgmental. Watch this. Watch. It's going to come back. It's, it's all going to land. This thought will. But for a moment, let's bring it to us. That's where she's at. Our critical heart normally comes on the heels of being offended. Being offended by a person, being offended by a group, being offended by an organization, being offended by a business or a church or government or whatever. Then Satan uses that offense to try to make us critical and judgmental towards whatever it is, whatever's going on, and he twists you up like a pretzel, right, until you lose sight of everything that's good and all you can see is wrong. It's all you can see, and he gets all of your attention there, and he spools it up in your mind, and he spools it up in your heart. And look, during this time of distraction, during this time of this critical and judgmental thinking, and this time of being twisted up like a pretzel, you're the person that loses the most. You lose the most because your heart's not in the right place. And that means that your heart isn't connecting with God, and your relationship with God suffers the most. And you become blinded to the very actions and decisions that have put you in that death spiral. Because you got your eyes and your attention on the complete wrong place. So here's what God instructs us to do. Take a look at this in James 4. He says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. Don't do it. Because if you criticize and you judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job, your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. Here's the, here's the critical piece here. If you're criticizing and judging each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. This is exactly what Eve got herself wrapped up into. She started criticizing and judging God's heart for her, which then caused her to criticize and judge God's law that she was to live under. And when she did that, everything eroded, and she went from it's going to create death to it's going to bring life. And that will happen for you and me as well. When we get all spooled up and all intense about criticizing and judging each other, then we end up forgetting God's law, and we end up committing the sins that we never really intended to commit, hurting ourselves and hurting others. That's exactly what happened for her. And so the enemy loves to bring this distraction to our lives to get us off course. And while we entertain the lie of, wow, how could God love me if he's going to keep good things from me? He gets us all wrapped up in criticizing, and then we criticize his law, and then everything falls apart. So there's a practical play on that in our personal lives, but there's a spiritual play of how the enemy's you know, using this in the woman's life, and he will use it in our life as well. So Satan, this is what he does. He will spin up all of this manipulation, all of these questions, all of this distraction. He'll spool up all of this manipulation to cause you to believe the lie. How could God keep any good thing from me if he loves me? All of that work, just so that you would believe that lie. Well, here's the good news. God doesn't keep good things from those who love him. He doesn't do that. God does protect us. He protects those who love him, though. Okay? Big difference between those two. God, I think, had a, I think you can easily see it. God had a great reason for man not to eat from the tree of knowledge. You can easily see the evidence of that now, right? Like now you can tell, well, man, you ate from it, 
and that was now going to mean separation from me. I don't want you to have, I don't want you to be separate from me, so don't eat the tree. Don't eat from the fruit of that tree. So you may not understand why it seems like God isn't giving you what you think you deserve or what you think that you desire right now, but our role isn't to try to figure that out. Our role is to trust God and to submit to his authority because this is God's true heart for you. And it's such a famous scripture. In Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That's God's heart for you. Our role is to trust that and to submit to that. So today, guys, if Satan has got you distracted, in whatever capacity, in whatever means, whatever he's doing, and all of his scheming that he does, which is so far beyond anything I'm just tapping on today, Right? Or if you are entertaining one of his lies, here's your move today. Repent to God, then ask God for freedom from the lie, and ask God for freedom from the distraction. Ask God, break me free of this. I repent, God. I've been believing a lie. I got my heart in the wrong place. Whatever that is. Today, this morning, I understand that what I've been doing and the way I've been living has been based out of a lie, not out of a truth. So God, would you break me free from that and help me to live the life that you want me to live? It's that simple. Come to Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And when you meet the truth, the truth sets you free. So bring your life to Jesus today and let him bring you freedom. That's what he wants to do in this place. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let me pray for you. Lord, as we prepare to respond to you, I'm reminded of what happened after this whole sin debacle went down in the garden. Where you showed up on the scene and as you, as you started to walk through the garden, you were looking for Adam and Eve. And when you found them, God, you, it was instantaneous that they had eaten from the tree. Lord, I'm thankful that you love them enough that at that moment, right then, that you didn't instantaneously just destroy them like you could. But that you love them. You love them in a couple of ways. Lord, you love them by letting them reap the consequences of their actions. That's love. Thank you, God, that you love us enough that you don't withhold the consequences of our actions. And that through that, you love us and you teach us things. Lord, I, I am kind of blown away by what you did next. You love them enough. They recognized the sin that they were in. Here they were in fig, fig leaves that they had sewn together. But Lord, you said that you took an animal hide and you've made amazing clothing for them. That even though they were going to have to be separate from you, you blessed them. God, you blessed us today. Just like you blessed Adam and Eve as they had to leave the garden, you're blessing us today because you sent your son, Jesus Christ. You've been chasing humanity ever since that moment that that first lie was believed. You've been chasing us down, chasing us down, chasing us down. And the day we stand before you under the fullness of the grace of the cross that allows our sins to be forgiven, the authority of Christ, the truth, who can break the chains of the lies that hold us back from you. Lord, we know that you love us. Sometimes you keep things from us because you're protecting us from ourselves. Lord, may we embrace that today. May we just say yes to you. 
And we submit ourselves to you. We bring our distractions. We bring our lies to you. We lay them down. We say, Jesus, you're the truth. Liberate us and set us free. Have your way in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.